Hey, Libby, I just I just made up this really great song. You want to hear it? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> hail to the chief. He's the chief and he needs hailing. He is the chief. So everybody hail like crazy. No, 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 no. That's not how it goes. It goes. What? Hail to the chief. If you don't, I'll have to kill you. I am the chief. So you better watch your step, you bastards. Ah, uh, your version sucks. Oh, no, my version rules the best. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rocking good time talking about all of our favorite soundtracks. Hi, my name is Joseph Wade. I will be your co-host for this evening. Here with me tonight, as always, is my lovely and belligerent co-host, Libby Cudmore. Libby, uh, what's going on tonight? Oh, it's been a wild night here in the Cudmore-Austin household. But I'm here now, and that's all that matters. Uh, so tonight on the show, Libby, I hate to bring politics into our conversation. You know, it's one of those, it's like the constant refrain of like dummies in this country. Like, why do you have to bring politics into everything? <laughs> but everything is politics and that includes movies. And so this week on the show, with it being like really close to the 4th of July, we kind of thought, you know, what would be a great movie to talk about? Uh, one of our favorite movies that a lot of people really don't. Uh, know or remember anymore uh it's 1996's my fellow americans i love this movie inexplicably and i so when you actually suggested i was like wow somebody else who knows this movie all right <laughs> and it's crazy i mostly only suggested it because i knew you had heard of it <laughs> and knew there were some good songs in it that's really yeah. all i knew until i got an actual copy of the soundtrack for us to discuss. Where did you find your copy, by the way? Uh, I got it from uh, eBay, America's nice. number one uh, music retailer, <laughs> where I got a brand new sealed copy for $3. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> high for a CD these days. So I, I, well, so I got, I got the joy of being the first person to crack it open and listen to it. And nice. guess what? It didn't work in my car. Oh my god, really? Yeah, like half of the tracks just didn't play. But when That's I weird. when I got it home, put it in my computer, it worked fine. So like I for a hot second I was like, "Oh my god, CD rot has struck again." But no, everything's fine. <laughs> okay. Good. We won't want you to miss out on the soundtrack to 1996's uh My Fellow Americans. Lord, no. So, well, why don't you tell us a little bit about about this movie? Okay. So, in the early 90s, uh, one of the more inexplicable successes was this movie called Grumpy Old Men, and it starred Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau as two grumpy old men who just be, who are just old farts having wacky adventures together. And the success of that movie kind of spawned like a renaissance in basically old man comedies. We had Grumpy Old Men, we had Grumpier Old Men, we had an Odd Couple sequel for some reason, and in the middle of all that, we got My Fellow Americans. Uh, which stars Jack Lemmon and James Garner as two ex-presidents who are on the lam from the U.S. government uh, as they try to expose a uh, payola scandal in the White House. And it's 
directed by the same director as Tommy Boy, Peter Siegel, uh, the year after Tommy Boy, in fact. So there's a lot of, like, uh, sort of creative crossover here. It's very much in the same style as Tommy Boy, but uh, a yeah, little Yeah, it's old guys. It's older. Tommy Boy for baby boomers, essentially. It's Tommy Boy for granddad, yeah. Yeah, Tommy Boy for people who have NPR tote bags. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. So. <laughs> I don't have an NPR tote bag. I'm not that so. cool. Well, this is the podcast for you. We are we have our uh, fingers firmly on the pulse of hot things that teens love, that the youth of today are here for. The movies that millennials love to remember, like My Fellow Americans. Yes. <laughs> Although, actually, um, what, what struck me about this film is that when I was 13, I absolutely fucking loved this movie. I am not the target audience for this film. I'm not even sure that now, at my advanced age, that I am the target audience for this film. <laughs> but I inexplicably love it. And my sister Hillary and I saw this probably at the Park Theater I uh, when we were 13 and 11. And quote it to this day, and I... I asked her the other night, like, how did we end up seeing my fellow Americans? And she said, I have no idea. <laughs> but we we were able to to quote it very, very accurately. Mm-hmm. We just remembered so much about it. And we I remember watching this a lot. I think it played on cable a lot too. Yeah, it was I remember it being on HBO all the time back in the day. And mm-hmm. so I, I watched it a lot then as well. But also, I remember very clearly, uh, my best friend at the time was a big sort of history nerd. Like, he was the kind of kid who would read books about presidents and memorize facts and stuff. So, like, when this movie came out, it was like a comedy about presidents. He was all over it. And because he was all over it, I was all over it, too. <laughs> um, and I'm sure if I, like, called him up and started just doing lines from this movie, he would be right there with me and just, like, pick up, like, nothing had ever happened. <laughs> okay, so this, what's his name? His name is uh his name is Michael Cooper. He's uh, a lawyer now. He's a great writer. Uh, he, if he's out there on Twitter, you can go follow him. Wow, he's gonna get some weird follows from this. Yeah, Michael Cooper Sorry, and Hillary Taylor. This podcast is for you. Shout out to Mikey C on the OST Hillary party. Hillary T. Yes. <laughs> uh, so be- before we really get into the soundtrack, though, uh, we got a little bit of business from our last episode, our Will Smith extravaganza. Oh, yes. I got some uh, some some love for this one. Some hate mail, too. Um, really? Our friend, yeah, our friend uh, Dashing Drew Rude over at the Shattered Shield podcast, which I also co-host. Um, let me find you a text message he sent me the other day. He said, if you don't like Aladdin, you're an asshole and you are full of hate. That movie was fantastic with a little laughing, crying emoji. <laughs> Whatever you say, Duder. Yeah. <laughs> hey, speaking of speaking of Disney abominations, what do you think of The Lion King? I, the, the bad reviews, they're like beautiful art. <laughs> Yes. They're the most beautiful thing I've ever... I love a well-written bad review. Like, more than anything. Mm-hmm. They're beautiful. Um, I always thought it was a terrible idea anyway, so... Because it's not really live action. They didn't get, like, actual lions. So... I know, I'm, right? I'm relishing in it. What about you? Oh, yeah. I'm... I am here for this train wreck. Like, I know for a fact at some point I'm going to go see this because how could I not... But at the same time, I know this is just going to be the worst thing. 
uh, our our buddies over at the spool, uh, Clint Worthington, his the the title for his review just says, "This pride is a sin." <laughs> oh, he does great work over there. All we, right, we love him. Everyone's getting a shout out in this episode. Hell yeah! This so, this right. is this is an episode about our fellow Americans. Yes, indeed. So, um. <clears throat> Last week, we talked about the Will Smith movie wrap-up, mm-hmm. um, and we talked about Men in Black, Men in Black 2, Wild Wild West, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Aladdin, and Nightmare on My Street. But there are still a lot of Will Smith movies that need wrap-ups. So we pitched four that needed a, an ending wrap by Will Smith. They were Concussion, Pursuit of Happiness, Suicide Squad, and Seven Pounds. And with 38% of the vote, Pursuit of Happiness is the one people most want to see a Will Smith movie wrap up about. Um, Suicide Squad and Concussion tied at 25%, and Seven Pounds uh, had 13%. I have seen none of these movies. so. But if there's a wrap-up, I don't need to. How many, uh, how, many things po- how many things can you possibly rhyme with sleeping in a bathroom? Unpaid internship. Uh, Rubik's Cube? <laughs> Baby Jaden Smith. Like I don't know. Will Smith will find a way. He will find a way. Like, so. like life, Will Smith will find a way. Yeah. Um, I did watch Independence Day, though, on the 4th of July. Yeah? Oh, of course, always. That movie is still amazing and still needs a wrap at the end. There's still time. <laughs> you know what I wound up watching on the 4th of July? This has nothing to do with Will Smith, by the way. <laughs> I wound up watching Air Force One. Oh, Jesus Christ. Mostly because it was on TV. But, like, that movie wants to be Independence Day so badly. Huh. Like, you can tell, they're, like, the, the airplane scenes look a little bit like the airplane scenes in Independence Day. The action looks like Independence Day. Like, the one thing it's really lacking is a good, like, rap song explaining how Harrison Ford stayed on the plane. I want to see Harrison Ford bust out a rap. Oh, my God. That would be great. Man, the 90s were an amazing time. Why did we ever let them stop? <sighs> something, something, 9-11. Fair enough. The other thing about uh, Air Force One, though, is that it co-stars a cast member from My Fellow Americans. <laughs> Which one? Uh, I believe it's the actor who plays the in, – in Air Force One, the actor who plays the president's uh, chief of staff uh, is also one of the uh, NSA agents who are apt to get uh, Jack Lemmon and James Garner. <laughs> That's wild. Actually, Independence Day also stars uh, a cast member from My Fellow Americans, James Rebhorn. It does. That's right. Wow. There we go. See, it all comes back around. It all comes back to My Fellow Americans. The 90s was one close-knit family of character actors. Yes, it really was. So it was an amazing time. So this week on the show, I don't have a billboarding school segment for you because guess what? Believe it or not, this album did not chart. At all. Well, it has no single, and nope. it's basically uh, a baby boomer mixtape, mm-hmm. and none of the songs are original. Yeah, like if anything, it's it, it's writing the coattails of uh, the Forrest Gump soundtrack, which oh, is just wall to wall boomer, you know, uh, greatest hits. And this has a little bit of that, but also a little bit of um, older hits, older songs, and a couple of just really kitschy, weird one-offs as well yes Um, but i want to just say something to my fellow americans listening to this podcast and also all the the good people of earth who may be downloading this in other countries yes we can promise you we will never 
do the Forrest Gump soundtrack. That is a promise we make you. That is an OST guarantee. Mm-hmm. So instead of uh, billboarding school, I can give you just a couple of quick facts about the movie and the soundtrack. Uh, the movie came out December 20th, 1996. I believe that's the same week that Beavis and Butthead Do America came out. Yes. So we you had amazing you, times. You had a choice that weekend. You could go see Beavis and Butthead, or you could see elderly Beavis and Butthead in live action. <laughs> <laughs> America chose Beavis and Butthead. On a $21 million budget, this movie made $22 million. So it only just barely broke even. But some of that inexplicably from young teenagers. Yes, believe it or not. Uh, we The world may never know why. Uh, also, the album came out the same week, which incidentally was the same week as Trans-Siberian Orchestra's Christmas Eve and Other Stories. And now that I've mentioned a Christmas thing, we can move on. Yes. <laughs> uh, also, final thing, uh, the winter, 96, 97, when this soundtrack and movie was out, that's the, that's the time when No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom was ruling the land. And I'm kind of surprised we didn't get a No Doubt song on this, this soundtrack. Uh, I'm, I'm fine with that. Oh, me too. I'm just saying, like... I'm good. They, they had to appeal to the kids. Well, no, they didn't have to because they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> they obviously didn't Not do that. at all. Well, they put the Macarena on there. The youth love the Macarena, right? That's what all the cool kids are doing. See, I think the cool kids knew better because it's not even the Los Del Rio Macarena on this soundtrack. <laughs> it's a crappy knockoff cover of the Macarena. We'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, so yeah, where do we where do we want to start? I always ask that question, and I know the answer. It's at the beginning. Yes, because uh, with a soundtrack like this, there's really no good way to go through it because the uh, track listing is really not in chronological order. Yeah, which is frustrating, and I'm not really sure why you would do that. I, I guess I understand if you've got a hit like uh, Men in Black to sort of lead it yeah, off. Yeah, but in cases like this, uh, or with Beavis and Butthead. Start at the beginning and work through. Mm-hmm. So. Actually, now that I'm looking at the track listing right now, I, th- I see what they did. What they did was they, they front-loaded this soundtrack with all the hits. Yes, but they're not even hits for the soundtrack. It's no. It's just, here's a Stevie Wonder song. Basically, yeah. Let's just dig into the film, because that's kind of what, mostly what we're here to talk about, is to explain to you people why you need to watch My Fellow Americans. Yeah, because it's amazing. Because it's truly You wonderful. owe it to your country. First thing frankly. is, first though, I'll say, uh, don't go out and find a DVD copy of this. You definitely want to rent this on streaming, because uh, the only DVD that's out there is in that weird 4.3, like, full screen for a square TV, and that oh, sucks. Boy. So definitely rent this on streaming. Yeah, it can be found on uh, on Amazon. That's where we rented it. Yeah. I I'm d- pretty sure we had this on VHS at some point. Mm-hmm. I had the DVD, but I wanted to see if the, the streaming rental looked any better. And believe it or not, it does. So definitely do that. Yes. It's cheap. Splurge. Yeah. Three bucks. Come on. So My Fellow Americans opens with three presidential elections. I believe it starts in 1988. I'm not entirely sure about that. But it starts with the election of Russell P. Kramer, who is played by Jack Lemmon. And he is a one-term president because it immediately cuts to four years later. He's ousted four years later by President Matthew Douglas, played by uh, James Garner. Cut to four years later, and he is ousted by President Haney, who is played by Dan Aykroyd. And that's where the film takes place, kind of in contemporaneous 1996. So the movie basically acts like 
Bush and Clinton never happened, which I don't know how you feel about that, but fine by me. So then during the presidency of President Haney, um, Kramer is out there trying to keep his name alive by doing, uh, like, business anniversary parties for Japanese businessmen and golf tournaments and things like that. And the first song we hear in the first real song we hear in the movie is a Japanese cover of the song We're in the Money from Gold Diggers of 1933. I'm going to play that here because it's so weird. <laughs> You know, props to them for including this version on the soundtrack and not just sort of the version that everybody knows. Yeah. That's kind of a neat thing. This scene also concludes with uh, Kramer dancing with a panda. Yes. Very, uh, <laughs> very embarrassingly dancing with just a giant guy in a panda suit. Which he refers to later as a dog. And uh, there's a, a great exchange here. And that's the like, did, you know, Roosevelt dance with the blah, blah, blah. Did Jefferson dance with a bear? Did Lincoln? Did Reagan foxtrot with a friggin' panda? I could check, sir. The point is, I was president of the United States. I don't dance with animals. Yes, sir. No dancing with animals, sir. Yeah, one, yeah, one of the things that bugs me about this film, and it's mostly just, like, political humor. The things that bug me about this movie are, like, easy political jokes that are, that are like, written for granddads. Did, <laughs> did, did Roosevelt dance with a panda? Like, Really? Yeah, I think that's hilarious. You take that back. I don't know. It's a funny image. It's a funny image, but... Like, and it's the, something a 13-year-old can get. Like the, A 13-year-old and a granddad. The movie is a lot of that, though. Yes. It's a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, So, and one of the things that I, I do like about this movie, we'll get into this more and more, is how just, like, crackling the dialogue is. And the, the insults that go back and forth. They're just, they're, they're lightning fast, they're whip smart. Yeah, and it really helps that you have these like really these seasoned veterans who just they know how to yell at each other. Yeah, <laughs> and it's really fun. It's just really fun to watch these two work because they're so good together. Mm-hmm. Mo- moving on, uh, we are then in, we are then taken to a a dinner party of some kind where uh, "Life Is So Peculiar" by Louis Jordan and Louis Armstrong is playing. Uh, do we want to go to a clip for clip of that? Yes, we do because we- Louis Armstrong is amazing and this song rules. You got it. It's so peculiar. You get so wet in the rain. You know it too. Mm-hmm. You get so warm in the sunshine. Get my suntan. It doesn't pay to complain. I never complain. When I get up each morning, there's nothing to breathe but air. Yeah. And when I look in the mirror, this is our kind of second introduction to uh, Douglas, who is boning uh, Joanna, who I think is his agent. She uh, she is his book editor. His book editor. Okay. <laughs> Apparently that's what he did in the White House is he just had affairs with young blondes. And this coming like right in the middle of like the the Clinton years and the Lewinsky scandal is ugh. It's a little yeah. on the nose. <laughs> yes. And it should be mentioned that uh Kramer is a Republican mm-hmm. and uh Douglas is a Democrat. Yes. So, like, Douglas's one character trait is that he's a ladies' man, and then Kramer's one character trait is that he's extremely cheap. Mm-hmm. And they play that joke throughout the entire movie. 
Yep. I, I I know I sound like I hate this movie. I actually don't. It's just when I say these things, it comes out as negative. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you, it's one of those things you kind of have to be there. You have to well, see how well they're able to play it because these are these are really easy jokes and they managed to play it with a, a certain level of charm. Yeah. Like, well, like on paper, this movie seems really dry and not at all funny, but it's all in the execution. Mm-hmm. So, okay, let's let's just kick this into high gear. The plot of this movie is that um, there is a political scandal involving this thing called Olympia, where it basically someone was offered a kickback for something, and it's going to come back on either the current president or one of the ex-presidents. And it's up to the, the two ex-presidents to prove that it was the current president who is involved in the scandal and not them. And that the current president being Dan Aykroyd. Being Dan Aykroyd. And that unleashes uh, NSA agents who are out to stop them by any means necessary, including murder. Yes. And they wind up meeting uh, again at a funeral for um, a fellow ex-president. Mm-hmm. And probably for me, the best song that is used in this movie is not on the soundtrack. Oh God! <laughs> and uh, the president's name was uh, was Charlie, and uh, Vice President Ted Matthews, played by John Hurd, uh, he's giving the eulogy, and he says, "You know, Charlie had a favorite song that he used to sing whenever he was down." And it's cutting back and forth. Well, you know what? Just play the clip. Let's just play the clip. Yes. Mrs. Sherman has told me that Charlie had a favorite song. One that always cheered him when he was down. Please, God, don't let him quote lyrics. And I can't think of anything more fitting than to share with you the words from that song now. Oh, Christ. Muskrat Susie, Muskrat Sam, do the jitterbug out of muskrat land. And they shimmy. And Sammy's so skinny. Hey. He's quoting muskrat love. By Captain and Tennille. <laughs> this is a really bad song, which I inexplicably have a 45 of. Of Thanks. course you do. Uh, there was a gift from my friend Emily R- Riley at Radio Bites. Uh, she sent it to me uh, for Evil Libby on Record Saturday. Oh, and nice. it is essentially a song about rodents fucking. Of co- oh, of course. Sung very beautifully. <laughs> and... Just to sort of illustrate how deeply entrenched this film is in my life, when I got married, um, my sisters uh, weren't in my bridal party, but I had each of them, there are four of them, give a small, uh, either my sister Sean gave like a Jewish prayer, uh, but to recite a quote or a prayer that, you know, they wanted to send us off with. Yeah. And All right. so my sister Hillary said I, w- I have some song lyrics I want to share and she looked at me and I'm wearing my beautiful wedding dress there with the man I'm going to marry and she oh, says no. muskrat Susie muskrat Sam do the jitterbug down in muskrat land <laughs> and they shimmy and Sammy's so skinny <laughs> she quoted my fellow Americans quoting muskrat love at my wedding <laughs> That's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. She's the best sister in the universe. I love her. 
And I'm howling. And Ian's like, what? And I'm just like, I can't even. I'm like, I will explain to you later. And later I, I showed him this. And when that scene came up, I'm like, that's what Hillary was quoting at our wedding. He's like. Okay, what? <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that is, so that you is can't give the speech from Independence Day. There's always muskrat love. There's always muskrat love. Oh, man. But for some reason, that song is not on this soundtrack. No, it's not. There's a couple of like prominent songs that are in the movie, but not on the soundtrack. So, and it's it's strange because you you start to think about what is the function of a soundtrack. Do we want to mm-hmm. get into this? You want to say that? For no, later? yeah, go for it. Go for okay. it. Okay, you think about what is the function of a film soundtrack, and obviously you have a soundtrack within the film to keep things moving, to sort of bolster, so that there isn't just silence to you know, get some either contemporary or of the time period music. But at what point did they think, yes, people are going to buy the My Fellow American soundtrack. This is a soundtrack people are going to want to listen to in their cars or at home on their compact disc players. Yes, yeah, somebody is going to want to listen to this on his Walkman as he's walking to class. Yeah, so it's, you ask yourself, what purpose does the soundtrack serve? Is it simply for the film or does a soundtrack need to stand on its own? And that's something that we've been sort of going back and forth with on this podcast. That's the whole point of this podcast. Right. That's kind of how how we gauge these soundtracks is do they stand alone on their own as like a a track list of songs that cohere and give you a good idea of what the movie is? Or is it just a collection of songs that happen to be in a movie? Yes. And... In this case, I mean, we'll we'll dig into it here in a moment, but in this case, I'm inclined to say, I mean, this does paint a fairly decent picture of this movie because most of the a lot of the songs on the soundtrack just give you that cla- that sort of I don't want to just come out and say for old people feeling, but a lot of the songs do kind of evoke it. Yes. Um, but in a weird and messy way. In a very messy way. Wow. And none of them really stand out as songs tell a real story about the characters they're sort of ones that are playing in convenience stores and on radios yeah and then a couple of them are just uh the the kinds of songs that you expect to hear in this type of movie like once the actual road trip part of the movie begins there's a couple of songs that start that just you just tend to expect when you hear a road see a road trip movie and with this soundtrack, the thing is, you could replace every single scene with music with another song, and you don't detract from the film. No, not a bit. And to me, that is not what a soundtrack should do. It needs to be entrenched in the film. Mm-hmm. You know, Beavis and Butthead would not be the same without that cover of Love Roller Coaster. Right. It's, it's, it, it, it becomes it's... entwined. It is like completely the attitude of the film for that mm-hmm. for that song to be there. But like some of the songs on this soundtrack are purely there to serve as jokes. Yeah, and they could have been they could have been replaced with literally any other tacky joke song, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't have lost a thing. Aside from you know the Japanese cover of "We're in the Money," that's like a perfect gag song to put on the soundtrack. That's yes. great. But then um, they didn't put "Muskrat Love" on there. It's a real right. Real detriment. But then also, like, uh, the one the one song that really does kind of embody the film more than any other song on the soundtrack in the movie 
is not on the soundtrack. It's Pink Houses by uh, John Mellencamp. Yeah, so the point where they play it twice. Yeah, exactly. And over the play- credits. Yeah. So, and I'm, I'm interested to know why that wasn't included. So if you know, let us know. It, I mean, we've come back around to it time and again. I'm willing to bet it's because it costs too much to license. Yes. So, And also, it's a stupid song. It's a really dumb song. But, I mean, it's that kind of a song. You know, it's that sort of cla- – God, I don't even know how to describe this song, Pink Houses, because it's such a dumb song. Classic garbage. Cla- it's classic garbage that paints a picture of, like, rural America. <laughs> yes, exactly, by a multi-bajillionaire. Yes. So, yeah, just because you put on blue jeans and put a handkerchief in your pocket doesn't mean you're the working man, John Cougar Mellencamp. <laughs> Wait, that's Bruce Springsteen. It's, they're all the same. Yeah. So. Oh, God. All right. Let's move on. All right, yeah, so, um, so Kramer and Douglas are picked up by NSA agents, and they're taken on, t- on to Marine One, the uh, president's you know, helicopter, and they're quote-unquote sent to Camp David to meet with the president. But what they don't know is that they're actually being uh, set up for assassination. And they manage to get off the plane when they realize something is amiss. And then the plane explodes. And then they realize someone's trying to kill us. So they decide to take a cross-country road trip to Ohio uh, to Kramer's presidential library to find evidence to exonerate them. And this is the part of the movie that I was thrilled with as a kid because uh, they spend the next half hour traipsing through western North Carolina, (laughs) which is where I grew up. (laughs) From Black Mountain to uh, Jefferson and then up through Galax, up up into Ohio. Uh, And they filmed a lot of this movie in Asheville. Oh, do you remember them filming it? I don't because Asheville is like an hour and a half away from where I lived. Um, but when it came out, I remember that was big news. Like, oh my God, they filmed that here? We had no idea. Huh. So that's wild. That, that's, that's a fun thing. That's probably why, like, people in my orbit as a kid were interested in this film at all. It's like, oh, it kind of, it, it's, it's a movie that filmed, you know, here with, with, uh, North Carolina places, even though they were mostly, uh, uh, t- uh standing in for, like, West Virginia and stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. And there's, and there's also a great scene, uh, once they start on their road trip, they they hitch aboard a train. Oh, hold on. We got to back up to how they hitch aboard. Oh, hang on. You're right. Because um, before that comes probably one of the more well-known songs on the soundtrack. Uh, as their road trip begins, uh, we get Bad Moon Rising by Creedence Clearwater Revival. Do we have to play a clip? Of course we do. Are you kidding me? <laughs> a fan of this song um <laughs> i think it's dumb but um another film that my sister hiller and i inexplicably loved was the movie bye bye love which starred paul reiser randy quaid who we've established my sister was in love with and matthew modine who i will always be in love with because he's a friggin hottie don't say friggin if you're gonna use the f word go for the gold all right um but she had written a parody of this song 
uh, called The Bad Guy with Paul Reiser about <laughs> Matthew Modine. So that oh. is what I always think of when I hear Bad Moon Rising. This, this though, it really is like one of the most like overused songs in all of cinema. It's pure baby boomer bait. It really is. Like, I'm pretty sure it's on the Forrest Gump soundtrack, too. Oh, God. Um, but it is in... Um, oh, wait. Yeah, we have a list here. It's, it's in American Werewolf in London, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that movie's amazing, despite not using Warren Zevon's Werewolves of London. That's a crime. Yes. That is like... A, that's a hate... That, that is a hate crime. <laughs> yeah, you have a lot to answer for. But it's it's also in... Uh, Did the John t- Landis write that movie? Mm, I think he directed direct? it. Yeah, he directed it. Yeah, you have a lot of crimes to answer for, John Landis. Yeah. This is one of them. Because guess what? It's also in the Twilight Zone movie. Yeah. (laughs) You want to talk about that, John Landis? You want to talk about the Twilight Zone? We know you don't, but you're going to. You're going to have to. You have to answer to God someday. Uh, but also, it's it's in The Howling 3. It's in Blade for some reason. Fuck yeah, Blade. Sweet Home Alabama. Kenny Johnson. It's in uh, The Big Chill. And it's in Kong Skull Island. I think that's the most recent use of it, but... uh, Actually, I, I will defend this song if only because of the way they use it in Kung Skull Island is just great. Like it's you always think of it as as being like pure like Vietnam kind of boom, boomer bait, and that movie just leans right the fuck into it. Well, I also have to applaud its use here in my fellow Americans because it's playing as they go into the bathroom, where one of my favorite lines in this movie is said. <laughs> um the the lyric Bad Moon Rise it or there's a bad moon on the rise. Which is a... commonly misheard as there's a bathroom on the right. Right, yes. So that is hysterical in its intent. And so at the train station, they go into the bathroom. And they, they meet the first of many regular Americans uh, who is just flabbergasted that he's getting to meet them. He wants to shake uh, Russell's hand. And then Russell says, It's an honor, sir. Oh, I can't shake right now. I have to keep my hands on the first penis. Now, I'm terrible at faces, uh-huh. and the idea that people would recognize these two bland-ass presidents is amazing to me. That like everybody knows who they are, especially in a sort of pre-internet. Well, not pre-internet, but pre-social media era. I guess. I think I'd walk past these two bland <clears throat> motherfuckers. Well, I mean, you got to remember, like, even today, there are, what, three or four ex-presidents actually living so, you I, would... know, I feel like if George W. Bush walked past me, I'd be like, that dude sort of looks like George W. Bush, and I would keep going. Mm, I guess. That's just me. Like, I don't recognize anybody. I guess if I saw Donald Trump, I'd be like, I'm going to go punch that motherfucker in the face. I feel like if you saw Jimmy Carter, you would know it was Jimmy Carter. Because <laughs> there'd be a heavenly glow around him. Of course. J- I mean, JC. Mm-hmm. He's a carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> So then they hop aboard the train. Because an Elvis impersonator thinks that they are presidential impersonators. Yes. Like, who, what kind of party would you go to that would have a presidential impersonator? I, I don't. I wouldn't. That's a party I wouldn't want to be a part of. Yeah, that sounds like a really, really boring ass party. Like, hey, we got a president impersonator. Like, And also, great. like, well, this, this party that they're getting ready to go on. It's a it's a train full of uh, UNC Tar Heel fans going to the NCAA finals in Ohio, which, again, was a thrill because my family's a big Tar Heel family. Was your family on the train? No. They should have been. <laughs> my dad should have been, yeah. Um, <laughs> but there's there's an Elvis impersonator and a Marilyn Monroe pers- impersonator. 
Yes, and the Marilyn Monroe impersonator claims that she actually did sleep with what she believes to be the real uh, Matt Douglas, not recognizing that she is speaking, in fact, to the real Matt Douglas. And she says, I hope you don't mind my asking, but how was he? Any good? To tell you the truth, it was a lot like his presidency. There was a lot of talk leading up to it, but then he didn't do much. Yeah, she just like la- like lays him out flat, <laughs> which is weird because like earlier in the movie when he when he sleeps with his editor, she's like all about. It. She's like, oh my god, I can't believe I just fucked the president. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> the less said about this, the better. They're headed for Cuyahoga, Cuyahoga Falls. Yes, they're headed for Cuyahoga Falls. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. It's been a little while. I feel like Cuyahoga Falls is mentioned in Tommy Boy as well. Pretty sure it was. Yeah. So I think uh, I think what's her name is from that's, there. That's where Michelle was going home to when she yes. decides to leave forever. Yes. Um, so yeah, there's there's a fun a fun Tommy Boy connection there. I was looking for Tommy Boy connections because I knew this was they were both Steve Peter Siegel movies, and that's apparently the only one. Yes, which is disappointing because they could have at least made a pass through Sandusky, and he's not from Ohio. But yeah. I think it's interesting that both his his films are set there. Uh, or at least two of his films he's made others. Um, but here's who does come from Cuyahoga Falls. Um, Bob Lewis and Mark Mothersbaugh of Devo and oh. Jim Jarmusch. Oh, cool. The director. So. That explains a lot about Jim Jarmusch. Yeah, I feel like we should probably do Down by Law one of these days so we could talk more about Tom Waits. I'm down. Yes. Even though it's basically Rain Dogs. It's <laughs> basically just the album Rain Dogs. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so on on the train, uh, we get the we get uh, an Elvis song playing on the soundtrack. It's "Treat Me Nice" by Elvis Presley. Yes, let's listen. To it. When I walk through that door, baby, be polite. You gonna make me so if you don't greet me right. Don't you ever kiss me once, kiss me twice. Treat me nice. This is the first. Uh, I think our. I think it's our first encounter with Elvis Presley on this soundtrack. Yes, it is. Uh, show rather, the entire show, and uh, I don't know. Libby, what do you think of Elvis Presley, just in general? I'm fine with him. I'm not like super into him, but anything I hear, I'm just like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, like I mean, I, he essentially I, stole rock and roll from black folks, but you know. I mean, yeah. Someone was going to do it. We're terrible people. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't Elvis, it was going to be somebody else. So, like, eh, yeah. whatever. But, yeah, I, I feel the same way. Like, Elvis is generally kind of – it's a, he's all right. I'm not a, an Elvis head or, or anything. But, uh, yeah. I do is... desperately want to go to Graceland because I do love Tacky. Mm, yeah. I want to see that blowed up TV. Oh, yeah. We also have another train. Uh, we, we also have another song playing on the train. We have uh, Stevie Wonder's Superstition. Which is an awesome song, and it is Stevie Wonder's first real appearance on the OST party, although he was featured in Wild Wild West. Yes. And I feel like we would be remiss with, without uh, playing at least a little bit of Superstition. Oh, fuck yeah. So here we go. love this song. I love Superstition. This uh, is my you... favorite Stevie Wonder song, followed by Knocks Me Off My Feet. Mm, yeah. I mean, how do you not love Superstition? Like, 
That was, baseline, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I even wrote this in my notes. Like, this song is so good that, like, even Stevie Ray Vaughan couldn't ruin it. And he really tried hard to ruin this he song. He worked really, really hard, but alas, just could not. I actually just picked up the 45 of this when I was on vacation. Oh, nice. So look for that on uh, Record Saturday, one of these nights. Yeah, Superstition is good. Uh, it's also in uh, John Carpenter's The Thing for some reason. Which I know, we're like, that's the nature of this podcast. We're never going to talk about that movie. Yeah. Um, but it's it's weird that that this song appears in that film. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also weird, kind of weird that it appears in this film because it really doesn't have any place here. Yeah, it's just playing on the train. Yeah, it's 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 party music basically. Mm-hmm. It's a good party though. Oh, it's a great party. It's <laughs> it, it looks like a lot of fun. Uh, n- you know, night train to Ohio. With a bunch of Tar Heel fans, what more could you possibly want? And two presidential impersonators who actually happen to be the real president. <laughs> Quote, unquote, impersonators. <laughs> <laughs> this also, this, uh, this scene has another favorite line that uh, Hillary and I like to quote uh, when they're making fun of Kramer's, uh, our dreams are like our children. Yeah. Give me a break. Our dreams are like children. They need to be nurtured. They need to be supported. They need to eat their vegetables. <laughs> And fuck that guy. Yeah. Um, so they end up one. having to jump off the train because, although uh, Kramer will claim that he was pushed. Mm-hmm. Is it Kramer or Douglas that claims he was uh, pushed? Kramer. Kramer. Yeah. Douglas pushed Kramer. This is a bit where, like, those those presidential jokes start to come up and they just kind of grate because, like, oh, man, come on, really? Like, they're they're getting ready to jump off the, the train and Kramer says, oh, I can't do it. And Douglas goes, like, look at all that wheat. That's the amber waves of grain. Like, come on, dude. Don't That's say that. Fun. That's hysterical. Don't say that. But then when they both jump off the train and he gets up, he says, I think I got a chunk of Purple Mountain's majesty up my ass. And that's hysterical. <laughs> well, yeah, so you got to have the setup. I guess so. I guess yeah. so. Set it's, up a punchline. It, it's 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 just I don't know. I don't. A lot of these. A lot of the political humor in this movie is really like cloying. It's it's yeah. It's, it's like it's like your grandma offering you some candy. Yeah. Ugh. But I was thirteen. I thought it was funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's sort of it's like Family Guy for old people. It's like so, I know what that reference is. So Family Guy. Yeah. So um. Here, they, they head into a gas station to try and get some, some food and figure out their next move. And here we have what firmly cements it in 1996, and that is the motherfucking Macarena. When they dance, they call me Macarena. And the boys, they say, get them buena. They all want me. They can't have me. So they all come and dance beside me. Move with me. Jam with me. And if you're good, I'll take you home with me. Shoot me. Next song, please. Uh, no, no. <laughs> We're going to talk about this because this is an entry in our Under the Cover series. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because the version of the Macarena that plays is by something called the Tweezers and Jen. Yeah. It's not even the real Macarena that we all know and dance to at the sixth grade dance. It's an imposter Macarena. Yes. Why? I don't know. What was the point? What was the point of even having it? Did they think one day that this would be a time capsule of like, oh boy, the Macarena. How many how many movies has the Macarena been used in? Let's get that right here. Let's clear that right up on this podcast. This is uh, 
Los Del Rio's IMDb page. The Macarena appears in the movies, let's see, uh, Home Fries, Go, Just Visiting. Uh, it features in the British version of The Office, so I am assuming it, it features in the American version of The Office. Uh, the Guru, Free Radicals, let's see here, 30 Rock, it's in The Mentalist, it's in House, it's in Entourage, it's in Warehouse 13, it's featured in Love and Other Drugs, it's featured in the show Misfits. Um, let's see here, a bunch of stuff that I'm not uh, listing because I don't know what it is. Uh, Dirty Grandpa starring Robert De Niro, and also the movie Ferdinand about the bowl, apparently. And also, finally, yes, it features in Hotel Transylvania 3. You're welcome, America. This is what you asked for. You deserve this, honestly. And this tells us a little bit about what's coming next in the kind of way that is beep, slightly racist. Beep, beep, beep. Back it up, back it up. It also appears in the 2005 Tim Burton Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Well, now I hate everything. Fuck the planet. Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I you were saying... Tim Burton. You were saying, Libby? Sorry. So I was <laughs> saying that the Macarena is, uh, in this instance, perhaps a little foreshadowing for the next scene. Which is okay. where they hitch a ride with a truck driver. Um, and yeah, it's, it's uh, Conchata Farrell from uh, Two and a Half Men, among many, many other things. Yes. She says she's hauling farm equipment. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the, well, as they're driving, they see helicopter lights. And it turns out that the quote-unquote farm equipment she is hauling is Mexican immigrants, which is already racist. <laughs> and their characterization of them is also kind of racist. Like, I'm really surprised they're not all wearing sombreros. But but this is also, like, this same basic joke was, like, the whole opening scene of Men in Black. Like, this joke was everywhere in the 90s of Mexicans coming to the, to the U.S. and scattering like cockroaches. It's kind of terrible, honestly. Yeah, although the, the I mean. fact that... Um, that Kramer is rude and dismissive to the Mexican immigrants uh, is something that uh, has not changed about Republicans, except now that instead of being kind of jerks, they just lock them up in cages and starve them. So, yeah. You know. So really, eat shit, Republicans. Yeah, if you're listening to this, I don't give a fuck. Quit listening. Nobody fucking likes you and your parents hate you. Eat a fat load of shit. Yeah, fuck off. Uh, but also during the scene, they are... Uh... Kramer and Douglas are rescued by a young uh, Mexican teenager named Ernesto, who's played by Michael Pena, of all people. Yes! We love him. Uh, shout out to my boys over at uh, Shattered Shield. He shows up as Army in season four. Mm. He's like the best part of a lot of movies, too. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I forgot he was in this. I did, too. He's very, very, very young. But you cannot mistake that adorable face. Oh, I know. And there's a great, a great joke where like they exchange, basically they give him a coat and he gives them a compass. And then when when uh, the NSA agents come looking for them and Kramer pulls out a gun, he freaks out and runs away. And he says, "It's true. Everyone in this country has a gun." And oh boy, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Oh yeah. And what I like about this movie is that it never, it doesn't pick a side. As far as Republicans and Democrats, 
which I think for for this movie's purposes is important. Yes. Um, yes. Because it shows that they can both have faults. And that's very true. And I think we see that. Obviously, the Republicans are a lot worse nowadays because they're racist neo-Nazi monsters. Yeah, because now they don't have to hide it anymore. Yeah, exactly. But um, but in this one, it shows them as equally flawed, which I appreciate from a sort of cinematic standpoint, from a character standpoint. Right. Like The, the movie really does try to it's, – it's even um, – it even feels – wrong to say this about any about anything these days but like the movie does try to do a both sides kind of mentality yeah. about how they're they're both you know we're because all it, we're all just americans at the end of the day and that's kind the, of the theme that the movie goes with yeah and the, ultimately they're people in power and the people in power are always out of touch right right and that's the real theme is that they're out of touch with the people that they they meet with in one way or another it's always yeah, the other the result is always the same but the, this is a nice moment of kindness mm-hmm. where they're able to have this exchange with someone who still believes in the American dream. Yeah. Which they've both kind of shit on. Yeah, really. And it, it, it's kind of nice to remember that like some people still just want to come here because of what this country purports to mean to people, you know? Mm-hmm. Like this, this America is supposed to be, you know, the land of the free. And we aren't really doing a great job of showing that yeah. a lot of the time. Uh, but yeah. this reminds us that we should be, and we, sh- we can be better, and we should be better. Yes. So, so moving on, uh, we get another sort of w- a walking montage as Kramer and Douglas are, are sort of traversing uh, the countryside. And this, this, is, this might be my favorite song on the soundtrack. It's uh, Don't Be That Way by Ella Fitzgerald. Oh, yeah. Oh, this, yes. This is like... This is like pure cinema right here. <laughs> I yeah. love it. And it's great because they actually mention Ella Fitzgerald. Yeah. Because uh, one of the things they're talking about is, you know, who are, were you most excited to meet when you were the president? And uh, Kramer says Joe DiMaggio and Douglas says Ella Fitzgerald. Meanwhile, Ella Fitzgerald is playing on the soundtrack. And also, a yes. uh, fun thing that I learned, the version that's in the movie is not the version on the soundtrack. Oh, Really? Yeah, the version on the soundtrack is listed as uh, being having been recorded in 1982. I looked this up, and the version in the movie is from 1962. Oh. And the one in the movie, I think, is a lot better because it's a little jauntier and a little more upbeat. And mm-hmm. It has has more of that sort of road trip kind of vibe to it. Yeah. Although, well, can you really count it as a road trip if they're mostly walking? That's true. They're, <laughs> I mean, well... <laughs> You're, they're they're never really on a road. They're on railroad tracks, and they're walking through the woods. So yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, there's huh. some moments where they're uh, they're you they know get... either on trains or in cars or Pla- planes, trains, and automobiles. Like this is basically the title of this movie. Yeah, but uh, uh, God, what was like? Oh yeah, so the version on the soundtrack is a little more downbeat, and it kind of sounds more like. A song you would hear in like a smoke-filled bar on a Saturday Ooh. night. Sexy. It, it it actually really is. It's, it's just it's just I happen to like the one in the movie more. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, we'll we'll play uh, the soundtrack version here just because that's the one I've got. We'll bring the violets of May. 
please don't be that way. Isn't that great? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. How, how, how could you not love some Ella Fitzgerald? I'm glad, I'm glad we got some of that in the soundtrack. Me too. This is this her first time on, isn't it? So is this the is this her first uh, appearance? This, this is her first appearance. So welcome wow. to the OST party, Ella Fitzgerald. We hope to see you again. Yes, indeed. Very, very soon. Uh, so yeah, moving on. This is the part of the film where Kramer and Douglas meet um, a family of road trippers who are on their way to Ohio. And Libby, why don't you explain kind of what's going on here? Yes, they uh, first they steal this family's car. They, yeah, they straight up <laughs> steal it, and they basically do kind of a racing Arizona joke, yes. where they steal the car and then realize there's still a baby in the car. So they have to turn around, get the car, and they're traveling with this family. It's a mom, a dad, a kid, and a baby. Um, at one point, the uh, the bad guys, the NSA, drive past, and they sort of duck down, and the little kid says, Mom, the presidents are squishing me! <laughs> Which is a very funny little joke. Oh, uh, this is our first occurrence of John Mellencamp's Little Pink Houses. Yes. Um, and because it's just they're just so gosh darn folky and American, and, you know, they're just regular folks. Um, and <laughs> they spend the night in their camper, with them and they're all sleeping in the same bed and uh the little kid kicks uh kicks uh, russell in the, he kicks russell in the dick no he kicks douglas in the dick and because russell oh, yeah. is facing the woman she's like we voted for you um but they end up getting in a little bit of a fight with the father uh who i believe he's making a joke about who's on mount rushmore first he says it's one of the great natural wonders of the world. Obviously, it's not. Um, and then he says that uh, it's got Abe Lincoln, who chopped down a cherry tree, and FDR, who killed him a bar when he was only three. <laughs> and I think he's making a joke. That kind of sounds like a joke, yeah. That sounds like a dad joke, because it rhymes and it's adorable. And right. um, Douglas sort of takes him to task about being ignorant and not knowing history. And then the mother... Uh, or, or, or rather, the, the father like turns it back on him and says, well, let's talk about, forget history, let's talk about what's going on right now. Yes. And that's when they get into the, the argument of, well, you know, your tax cuts caused us to lose our, you know, our jobs, and then your economic downturn caused us to lose our house. Yeah, and so they're living. They say, we didn't just invite you into our car, we invited you into our home. Yes. This yes. is where we live. And they are driving to... Uh, is it Cleveland? I think she just said Ohio. Okay. For a chance to work at uh, her uncle's paint factory. Right. And this is where I feel like the movie does a slight disservice by not tying it to Tommy Boy. Mm-hmm. I really feel like they could have referenced uh, Sandusky Auto Parts. Yeah, she could have just as easily said, we're going to my, my father's uh, brake pad factory. Yeah, my or my uncle's brake pad factory. My uncle's brake pad factory, yeah. Um, and because also, because <laughs> well, we know... Coming, coming after uh, Tommy Boy, does that mean that Tommy is her uncle? Would be her uncle? <laughs> <laughs> I well, don't know. Well, they haven't found out about Big Tom. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, because they've been on the road. Well, her they uncle have... established it. They they don't yeah. they've been on the road they had they don't have the internet out there yeah or oh they could say my cousins 
factory. But also because we know that uh, the Tommy Callahan is running that very well and that he will you know, do anything to make sure that each and every one of them still will always have a job at Callahan right. Auto Parts. So if that were the case, they would probably be perfectly okay. And actually, at the end of the film, we see they're doing just fine. Yeah, which so. is nice. You get to see that, okay, you know, the, the American dream did come true, that, you know, the normal folks got taken care of. Yeah, the, nor- the normal, you know, the, that family, they get their jobs, you know, they, get, they find the job and they get a new home. Uh, Ernesto, as I guess he's working for them at the end of the film. I'm Something like that. He's sure. got a button. Yeah, so I, I want to say he's like a, a campaign aide or something. Which is nice that you don't see him just like working, you know, standing in front of a Home Depot, still working, you know. And like seeing them on TV. Some or undocumented slave that's being exploited. Right. Like not only did they remember him when they, it came time for them to like wrap the film up, but they really like remembered him and got him a job in their administration. Yeah. We're jumping so, ahead. So sort of. <laughs> yes, that's okay. That's fine. Um, but they, the family but, dumps them out in, uh, I think it's Marietta, West Virginia, mm-hmm. which, uh, which if you're from North Carolina, you know, that's definitely Asheville. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they go to rent a car and they go open up the door to the rental place. And then inside the office is playing Funky Town. reason you could uh i mean this is a great song i love funky it's, town who doesn't love funky town but um you could replace this with any song yeah and like i'm i'm young enough that i've never encountered this song as anything but a joke and that's kind of how i know it i've never encountered it like in the wild i've heard it in movies only yeah uh, uh including uh such films as shrek 2 funky Gosh. town was in shrek 2 where does that stack up with the uh, is, is Funky Town I guess on the side of Smash Mouth or Tom Waits? It this this is Team Smash Mouth. Are, are, we, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> it, we would be per, we would be remiss if we didn't reference uh, Shrek somehow, some way on this podcast. Oh uh, uh, yeah, drink if you're playing along at home. <laughs> I, so, but it's very brief. Um, sorry, go on. Uh, Oh, yeah. So um, they have two cars, the Lexus or the Hyundai. And of course, of course, they're going to take the Lexus because they're presidents. And then there's the joke that I like that she asked them for ID. That's a, a yeah. funny punchline. Yeah. Like, like uh, she remembers they all, like, you know, a Lexus or a Hyundai. And they, oh, dummy, they're presidents. They want to they want the Lexus. And then she asked for ID. Like, <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah, you're a dummy. <laughs> So then it cuts to Kramer behind the wheel, and, like, the wipers are going up and down, the horn is blowing, the wiper fluid is blasting, he doesn't know what's going on, and they're playing, I think this is where they play Presidential Booty. Yes. It's blasting out of the car, and this is, like, a weird song that was invented just for this movie. Uh, Let's take a listen. Oh boy. <laughs> I love this, honestly. It's, it's credited to the director. 
So mm-hmm. I think the director like made this up himself. Which is a riot. And it, on the soundtrack, it's called Presidential Booty, parentheses, white man can't rap. <laughs> Kramer blows out the tires on the Lexus, so they have to take the Hyundai. Mm-hmm. And then they hit the road. And then this at this point in the film, they have another kind of back and forth exchange where Kramer is just singing hail to his version of hail to the chief well i hate that song so do i i made up words to the damn thing what i made up words to hail to the chief i sing them to myself every time they play it i made up words to it too yeah let me hear yours now you go first no no you do yours and i'll sing mine Hail to the chief, he's the chief and he needs hailing. He is the chief, so everybody hail like crazy. Hail to... That's more or less. Okay, well, let's hear your version, Gershwin. No. Well, what do you mean, no? I sang mine. I know, you're an idiot. This is one of those things where every time I hear hail to the chief, which isn't very often anymore because um, I ain't hailing nobody right now. Because you kind of try to avoid it, like most yes. people would. Yeah. But I do, when I hear it in, in movies or other, um, I do sing one of these two versions, kind of depending on my mood. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's... I generally lean towards the the uh, the Kramer yeah. version. What about you? I, me, me too. Like, I I don't know. Whenever I think of Hail to the Chief, I just, it. I don't know. He's... I don't immediately jump to... V- violence i guess yeah he's the chief and he needs hailing exactly that i think that's what it is it's just sillier (laughs) (laughs) also one thing one thing that i noted about the road trip was it must be super humiliating for like two hyper patriotic presidents like this to drive across america in a south korean beater (laughs) like that must really be humiliating for them (laughs) that must really burn his ass give give him the red ass give him the red ass So they escape uh, the NSA agents once again uh, because they stop for coffee and then the agents just At a Long John Silvers. When was the last time you saw a Long John Silvers? Probably when I moved out of Wilkesboro like 20 years ago. (laughs) So. It's been a long time. I can't. We had one here. Mm Mm-hmm. But um, it went out a while ago. We had the combination Long John Silvers Taco Bell. I never ate there. Ooh. Um, yeah. I, I don't know that I would trust a place like that. I don't think I've ever eaten at a Long John Silver's. I'm not a big seafood person, so. Well, I, I, we've got, like, tons of seafood restaurants down here, but it, seafood's the kind of thing that I would only mess with if I'm getting, like, a real meal. Like, I'm not going to yeah. go for fast food seafood. No, no. Yeah, that doesn't, like, and especially because up here, seafood isn't, you know, super huge, but we do fish fries. Right, yeah. Is that a thing by you, like, Catholic fish fries? It it kind of is, but um, I haven't gone to church in over a decade, so I really don't. I couldn't say. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Like every Lent, they just like there are fish fries everywhere. Oh like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's just it's like a thing. So right. I, I come from a very very heavily Catholic area. So I gotcha. Yeah, so it's just like a thing. Well, like cool. I'm, I I live like just north of of uh, Low Country Boil territory, so. Mm. Yeah, so we, 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 we get seafood, but it's not quite as good as what you get, like, in South Carolina and Georgia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so our presidents escape the NSA agents by uh, evacuating their vehicle and hiding in, in a gay pride parade. But yes, um, they're at a gay pride parade in West Virginia, mm-hmm. which 
is kind of radical for 1996. It really is. Yeah. That it would be that big. And that makes me really happy. Mm-hmm. It just brings me a lot of joy. And uh, the, the, big, the big set piece in, in this scene is uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, performed by an all-Dorothy marching band, <laughs> which honestly is just wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you know the history of uh, the Friends of Dorothy? I, I know that it exists. I don't, I'm not that familiar with it, though. Okay. Well, let's do a quick little uh, little history. Okay. The Friends of Dorothy. Um, and I'm not. I don't know the whole history of the association between gay men and the Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. but um, Judy Garland has always been much beloved in the um, the gay community. Sure. And uh, to be a friend of Dorothy. Um, was a sort of old slang term for being a gay man. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of assumed that was a, a more of a 90s thing because I haven't really heard that term since then. Yeah, so the, the um, it, some people believe it's derived from The Road to Oz, which is mm-hmm. another in the Oz books, which introduces readers to uh, Polychrome, who says, you have some really queer friends, Dorothy. To which she replies, the queerness doesn't matter just so long as they're friends. Um, Also later in um, one of the other books, um, the character Ozma, which I believe is in The Marvelous Land of Oz, um, is, uh, she is a born a girl, then uh, Oz, then the witch Moby, or sorry, the witch Mombi transforms her into a boy. And then later it's revealed that she's Princess Ozma. So she'd be one of the first uh, trans characters in literature. Wow. See, now you've got me wanting to know more about like L. Frank Baum and his association with, you know, uh, the gay community. I really don't know. Yeah, there's a whole history. Yes. But in the 1980s, um, the Naval Investigative Service was investigating homosexuality in the Chicago area. Mm-hmm. And because gay men were referred to as friends of Dorothy, they actually believed that there was this woman named Dorothy who is at the center of this homosexual racket, like rounding up gay men. And they set out like a search for her. In case you need any to... confirmation that our government is fucking stupid. Yeah. Uh, they were trying to... <laughs> the idea being that they would arrest her and convince her to reveal the name of gay service members. Now keep in mind um, that don't ask, don't tell mm-hmm. was still, it was actually brand new at this point. Um, it was sort of a compromise. Gays weren't allowed in the military. Bill Clinton signed, don't ask, don't tell right. um, in 1994, which was, you could be gay, just don't say anything about it. Um, and it wasn't repealed until 2011. That's insane. Yeah, but there's, so there's a little bit of that, you know, when you, when you think about sort of the context that this movie is existing in. Yeah, it's like, it's, you know, kind of fascinating. Right on the heels of that, too. Well, so, okay, so they meet well, a man in the gay pride parade. And he asks uh, Douglas, like, oh, are you coming out? He says, no, no, no. Um, I've always been a supporter of gay rights. He is. And points to Kramer. And it's kind of a cruel joke when we look at it now. Just like, ha ha, he's saying that guy's gay. Yeah, it's, it's, so. a, li- it's a little mean, but uh, it, it, comes, it, tur- it turns out okay in the end. Yes. And he says, we're, you know, we're trying to get to Ohio 
do you have any way to get us there? And he says, I think I've got a way. And smash cut to the the next song on our soundtrack, uh, Brick House, which is a cover by Dorothy Norwood. Now, this is an awesome cover, as opposed to our cover of uh, the Macarena play a few minutes ago. No, I love the song Brick House. Mm -hmm. I think it's amazing in any context. I'm not sure I'd like that Rob Zombie version. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we talked about that off the podcast. I just found out that I just found out that existed. So weird. But yeah, this this almost has a little bit of that uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers love roller coaster energy to it. Yeah, uh, Dorothy Norwood's a, um, a gospel singer. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yes, this is kind of a strange song for a gospel singer, but like, let's go with it. And this is played as a bunch of uh, uh, lesbian motorcyclists uh, are escorting them. And they, they call themselves Dykes on Bikes. Yep, that's um, the, the patch on the back of their vests. Yes, which we later see something very similar, this lesbian motorcycle gang in the film Rat Race, which you talked about during our Tom Waits episode. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So the kind of cliche of these like lesbian uh, motorcyclists. And we get another... A political i don't want to say easter egg but a sort of old buried treasure that we can look back on um mm-hmm. where i think uh kramer says i'm revising my stance we could definitely use some of those gals in the military <laughs> now women were have always sort of been present in the military but usually sure. as nurses and and that sort of women again women's work um mm. they began accepting women in 1976 but women were not accepted into direct combat when this movie was out, they were not accepted in direct combat until January 2013. Wow. So thank yeah. you, Russell Kramer, for planting that idea that women could serve in direct combat. You know, <laughs> if, if anybody's done more for America than Jack Lemon, I want to meet them. Yeah, I don't think anybody has. Mm-mm, no. <laughs> so they get to uh, Kramer's library in Ohio, and they, they, they discover that the book that he's they're looking for, his... His uh, chef's records, his kitchen records have been tampered with. And one of the things, he uh, was not only cheap, but he was apparently loved to eat and was a very, very you know, well-established cook. One of his cookbooks is called uh, Hail to the Chef. Yes. <laughs> so, he, so he knew that, you know, looking at his, his logs of what he fed people and how much it cost would... Mm-hmm tell him everything yeah it was, was, it was there it, it was in the book it's like two sandwiches 6.95 a piece like come on dude yeah really you're gonna be that cheap yeah, apparently so it's, at least it wasn't hamburgers <laughs> so moving this thing along here the next stop on our uh presidential road trip tour is they have to go pick up uh president haney's chief of staff who is the one orchestrating this whole cover-up so they go to his, they go to his house, and as they're on their way to the, his house, uh, we hear Wilson Pickett's in the midnight hour. Oh wow, I missed this one. Re- oh my god, no, it's the best. Let's play some. <laughs> I'm gonna wait. So 
this song is great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I'm a big. I don't know. I, I've I've come to realize that I really like Wilson Pickett, and it turns out that most of the most of the songs of his that I have come from movie soundtracks. That's uh, okay. See again, this is why we do this yeah. to speak of how important a good movie soundtrack could be. So I've got a Wilson Pickett song from The Full Monty, mm-hmm. one from Roadhouse, and now one from uh, My Fellow Americans. <laughs> yeah, this one just for for whatever reason um just didn't register. So. It's it's a fine song, like you know. Now that that I mean, I know it. It's just not one that uh, particularly stands out, good or bad. It's fine. No, yeah, it's it's there. I'm glad it brings you joy. <laughs> I enjoy it. That's all. So, President Dan Aykroyd's chief of staff is played by Bradley Whitford. Yes. Who most folks know uh, as Josh Lyman from The West Wing, and I feel like this movie is the beginning of the West Wing verse because he basically plays this character in pretty much everything up to yes. and including Godzilla fucking King of the Monsters. <laughs> so what I'm saying is my fellow Americans and Godzilla King of the Monsters take place in the same universe. I'm fine. You know what? Fight I'm me. all for that. <laughs> I, I like, I like this. It's canon now. Mm-hmm. 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 Also, I'm not against saying Billy Madison exists in this universe, but we'll put that, we'll table that for another day. Oh, God. But basically- Let's not bring they... up Adam Sandler any more than we have to. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but they, they bring in Wilford fucking Brimley to, yes. tor- to torture this man. <laughs> and I'd, watching it now, I'm very uncomfortable with this scene. Yes, uh, except that he- what I like about it, though, is that he's never actually going to torture him. He sort of makes him think, and he's just sort of poking him. Like, he's pretending to look for a vein. It's a sewing needle. Yeah, exactly. But it's still, like, the the context of the scene kind of, nowadays, I guess, makes me feel a little icky. But Yeah, uh, it was definitely more fun before, you know. Before everything happened. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what happened to this country? And then, like, in parentheses, gestures at everything. Yes. Ugh. <laughs> We really don't. Uh, so the, then the the end of the movie happens, which we really don't have to get into too deeply. I we guess, don't want to ruin it for you. We don't want to ruin it, and also there's no music. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's score. Which, as I'm thinking about it, I'm really only hearing the theme from Tommy Boy. <laughs> I remember the score just because, like, I was listening to this on my way home from work. <laughs> yeah, well, and and the main theme does appear on the soundtrack. It does. Yeah, the full like. 10 minute suite of music and that's something too that we haven't really talked about much yet is like sometimes they'll score movies but they'll only score so much of it like they won't do an entire hour and a half of music they'll just do you know 20 minutes or so to punctuate you know the most important scenes mm-hmm. and that's what we get here at the very end of the soundtrack is like the full like uh, william ross like original score for the movie and it's only about yes. uh, let's see here, yeah, ten minutes and thirty nine seconds. So they they pick and choose where to put this in the movie. What else did William Ross score? He has composed the he composed the score to um, lots of episodes of MacGyver and Tiny Toon Adventures and <laughs> the Little Rascals movie, uh, and the Tommy Boy no, the Chris Farley movie Black Sheep and My Fellow Americans and Tin Cup and My Dog Skip. And Ladder 49 and Harold and Kumar 3D. Oh, God. (laughs) And also not Kong Skull Island, but Skull Island Reign of Kong. So there you go. What even is that? 
That is a very good question. Skull Island Reign of Kong is... Oh, it's the short... (laughs) That's awesome. He scored the music for the King Kong ride at Universal Studios. Huh. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Good good for him. Way to go, man. It is exactly six minutes long. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, he's uh, prolific, if not entirely memorable. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's it's a it's a fun it's a fun little score, it's very it's very yeah. Tommy Boy. You're right. So, and yet not Tommy Boy. It's Tommy Boy, but not Tommy Boy. It's Chicago is not Chicago. Speaking sp- speaking of which, uh, that also describes Black Sheep. It's Tommy Boy, but not Tommy Boy. Yes. Oh God, have you seen Black Sheep lately? I saw Black Sheep recently. It was on Hulu, and I was like, I'll watch this. It's still funny. I'm not going to front. No, it's funny. It's a fucking mess, though. It's a mess of a film, but it's like, hysterical. But but the thing, the weird thing about it is, like, jokes that I remembered from Tommy Boy actually happened in that movie. Like, I really remember Chris Farley saying, boy, I feel like a horse's patoot. That's from Black Sheep. Huh. I always think of Kill Whitey every single time there's a debate. <laughs> oh, that's great. Bring it, Kamala Harris. Just no. say kill Whitey. Oh, God. Just, just one to. time. Just once. Give us one. Please. Uh, so to wrap this movie up, basically, uh, they save the day by talking to the president and telling him that they know about the scandal and also by killing the rogue NSA agent, which we haven't even mentioned in this movie. Uh, it's played by Everett McGill, who a lot of people know from Twin Peaks. I actually know him just from this movie. <laughs> So you watched Twin Peaks, and you're like, that's the dude from My Fellow Americans. I have literally said that to people, yeah. And they're like, what are you on about, Joe? You are fucking high. (laughs) Also, this movie has Lauren Bacall. We should mention that. Lauren Bacall (sighs) plays Kramer's wife. Kind of wasted in this movie. Like, she's great, but she doesn't get a whole lot to do. No. I like that she's here, though. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's like a really ridiculously like stacked cast. There's a ton of people, ton of familiar faces in this movie. Um, and then uh, you know the big finale is uh, well, we said we weren't going to tease it, but there you have it. They save the day. America is safe, and they are free to run for president another day. Yes, uh, on an independent ticket. Never underestimate the ego of white men. Of. Of old white men with lots and lots of money. Yes, never underestimate that ego. There, uh, there's one thing that I, I want to mention just real quick that I noticed watching it this time around. At one point, they're talking about how many uh, people voted against them in their elections. And Kramer says he w- he, ugh. Kramer says 80 million people voted against him. And so that seemed ridiculous to me. So I went to look it up. That's almost entirely how many people voted in the 1992 election. Whoa. Yeah. So for for 80 million to vote against him, he basically like lost in a landslide. Oh my god. But yeah, that's that's my fellow Americans. It's uh it's an extremely 1996 movie with an extremely 1996 sense of humor. Uh but it's ex- also extremely uh well executed with a lot of great actors and and, and charming and and a good again, yeah, 1996 timepiece, but in a way that doesn't feel... I mean, it's clearly dated, but in sort of a comforting way. Yeah, it. No, there's nothing it's about like, it yeah, that 1996. Really dates it in a bad way. 
I think maybe yeah, the only yeah, thing is good. is the fucking Macarena. Yeah. And that's that's brief enough that you can kind of ignore it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, oh, this it's... was this was oh this is a movie that not a lot of people know, and I, I hope that our 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 discussion here either uh, prompts some of you to go seek it out because it's a a, a very fun little uh, comedy. Or if you're not interested, well, we just kind of spoiled the whole thing for you. So there you go. Meh. Um, the soundtrack, though, not worth it. Not really worth it. I mean, I did I did spend $3 on it, and it's okay. It's more of a curiosity now than anything else. Like, I'm kind of happy that – I'm kind of glad that I own a copy of this. Yeah, soundtrack, it's okay. It's perfectly okay. Right. Yeah, just again, kind of a baby boomer greatest hits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, the one thing I'll say is I do wish we got the um, the all Dorothy marching band version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Heck on the yeah. Because we didn't get enough of it in the movie. No, we and, didn't. And, man. I want to see a movie about that guy. <laughs> he had a quite quite a journey, didn't he? He did indeed. Man. Wow. My dad had a, had a theory one time that like any movie worth a damn has some reference to uh, Wizard of Oz in it. And this movie passes that test. That's a great test. Mm-hmm. All right. Of course, you also get a bunch That's of horse shit with Re- Wizard of Oz references, so it's it's kind of it doesn't really work that well. Oh. Uh. So, Libby, what's what's uh, next up for the OST party? So next week, uh, this was my pick, and you're all gonna be sorry for it. Uh, we're gonna talk about 1993's Super Mario Brothers, a goofy, weird, not particularly good film. With a wait, great soundtrack. Because that's were, my jam. I like terrible wait, garbage. Hang on. Wait. You were serious about that? I was fucking so serious. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, next week on the show, I'm going to kill myself. So <laughs> oh. uh, in- enjoy that, everybody. <laughs> no, we got Roxette. We got Charles and Eddie. We got... Uh, oh, we're going to walk the dinosaur. That's going to be We are going to walk the motherfucking dinosaur. <laughs> It's going to be great. I love this soundtrack, and I will fucking fight all of you. Oh, boy. We could talk about Queen and how bad Bohemian Rhapsody is. I, I didn't can't see wait. Bohemian Rhapsody. You shouldn't. It's I'm the worst. I'm not going to. <laughs> so, yeah, we got some great covers on here. This is this is an underrated soundtrack to a movie that is overrated in how people feel about it and how much they hate it. Uh, I guess we're going to find out. I have a story about this movie as well, so we'll, we'll get into that next time. I do, too. I'm really excited. I can't wait. So if uh, you want to get at us on the internet and let us know how we're doing or what you think about uh, My Fellow Americans or any other movie soundtrack for that matter, you can hit us up on the internet at, or you can hit on Twitter rather at OST Party, or you can email us at OSTPartyPod at gmail.com. Uh, Libby, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Libby Cudmore. You can find me on Instagram at record underscore Saturday. Or you can catch me talking about The Shield over at the Shattered Shield podcast. Joe, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cordial Wombat. And if you'd like to hear me talking about Christmas movies, I have a podcast called Christmas Creeps uh, at Christmas Creeps on Twitter. where we do that twice a month. So go check it out. All right. All right. So uh, for the OST party, I am Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride.
What are you doing? I needed a cup of coffee. Oh, good. Did you get me one? No. You cheap bastard. I only had 50 cents. Give me a sip. Oh, yeah, I'm about to share my coffee with the Washington love machine. No dice. You could spit in a Petri dish and start a whole new civilization. Here, you want to lick the lid? Screw you.